Donald Trump's candidacy is a cancer on conservatism, and it must be clearly diagnosed, excised, and discarded. That was former Texas Governor Rick Perry last summer when he was still running for president. Here's what he had to say a few weeks ago. That's what we're doing. We're going through a process here, and Donald Trump is going to be our nominee. And, you know, I'm going to support him because the alternative is an absolute disaster. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm your host, Evan McMorris-Santoro. Today we're talking about how Trump took over, why no one could stop him, and why Republicans are, for the most part, learning to live with their nominee. I've said all along that I'll support the nominee. You know, I've always planned to support the nominee. I've said that from day one. I've long said that I will support the Republican nominee. I plan on supporting the Republican nominee. I plan on supporting the Republican nominee. Donald Donald at, Trump. Okay. At this time. We're going to hear from one of the first Republicans to warn that Trump was really dangerous and who still refuses to vote for him, even as many of his friends get on the Trump train. And we're going to talk to a woman whose job it is to sell Republican candidates to Democrats and independents in the age of Trump. I am extremely excited about today's episode because joining me to talk about all of this Trump stuff and where the Republican Party is and what happened to Never Trump and what happened to all this other stuff is Rosie Gray, one of my colleagues. She sits right next to me in the BuzzFeed DC news dome. Uh, She's a reporter. She covers the Republican race. She's been in it since the beginning. Rosie, welcome to the show. Hi, Evan. So do you remember when we thought that this whole Republican race was going to turn out like basically totally differently than it did. I mean, we did think that, it's, right? Uh, it's a distant memory, but yeah, I do. I do remember it. Yeah. And when I think back to, I mean, there was like a million debates, but the first Republican primary debate this cycle was in, I believe, Ohio. And yeah. I was there for it. Way back and in so, August of 2015. Positioned on the stage by how they stand in the polls. In the center of the stage tonight... Businessman Donald Trump. And just like the sight of Trump standing on stage with all of them, like with all the like Jeb Bush and all these like button down like Republican politicians was just so crazy that like everyone was just laughing like all the report. And then, of course, it got crazier from there because Trump acted the way that he did in all those debates, which was very extremely Trumpian. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account. Only Rosie O'Donnell. That was the era of like, he just literally would just turn to Jeb Bush and be like, get a load of this guy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like we're used to it now, but like think of how crazy that is. Right. And so literally like we were all watching this debate and just everybody in the press file was just like laughing their heads off. Like at every time Trump spoke. And that's why I was like, okay, this is unusual. I mean, there was a long time where it would just, you know, we'd really like look at each other and emails among the staff. And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But don't forget, folks, this isn't really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But I mean, the thing (laughs) is, I mean, after a certain point, reality sets in. Right. And I think what was that point? That's the question. And I think part of the reason why people thought it was going to stop eventually is because. The idea it was because there was a notion among so many of the establishment type thinkers and people who follow politics very closely was that Trump was essentially a destructive force for the Republican Party and that eventually the, the Republican Party would just be like, look, we're not having this. I mean, a lot of the establishment Republicans sort of 
conceived of this whole thing as like a virus that they were going to shake off, basically, right? Instead, what it's more like is like an invasive plant species or something right. that like like it's like kudzu or something where it's just like it's now it's just taking over everything. <laughs> it's a, or it's like it's like those carp that they have, that they're trying to <laughs> yeah, kill in exactly. Australia. Yeah, <laughs> like carp. it is just like and it, it's like you can't and after a while it's like too hard to fight back. And so eventually they just kind of had to roll over. I mean, Indiana, the Indiana primary, which was, what, a few weeks ago now. Right. That's right. That was really the last stand. So why didn't we get a third party candidate? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is that nobody wants to be that candidate. So it's sort of like a. That's even the sound of it. Like it's sort of like you're guaranteed loser. You're not going to be the president. No. And, you know, and you're going to have like a tough few months running against a candidate who's of your actual party who is probably going to like try to just destroy you. Mm-hmm. Uh, another issue is that it's actually really hard to run, you know, to just like start like to just do that. There's a lot of issues with getting on the ballot in various states. Uh, you would have issues raising money. You wouldn't have access to a lot of the same infrastructure that one of the major party candidates would have. Right. So basically the ask is, hi there, um, Republican uh, elected official and or former official uh, living a life of leisure. Uh, how would you like to drag yourself across broken glass for six <laughs> yeah. months? Also attached to it is really complicated hoop jumping when it comes to getting on ballots all across the country. Yeah, it's like I wouldn't want to do it. So then came the idea that like, okay, so now there's going to be this permanent rift that the party is just not going to rally around this guy. It's going to happen. We've got, you know, Trump is winning, but we're still going to, as Republican establishment, make it very clear we don't want this. And that's sort of where I see this never Trump thing starting up, right? It's like hashtag never Trump movement with people who are like, all right, maybe it's going that way. But look, we are not like he's not going to be our party's guy. Yeah. I mean, I I think that when reality started setting in that Trump was probably going to be the nominee, that's when the hashtag never Trump stuff really sort of got going because you don't really have to say hashtag never Trump if you don't think the guy's going to win. And obviously, I mean, like for a lot of the people who are hashtag never Trumpers, I mean, this is like a big step for them. They're not supporting their own party's nominee. Like, these are people who've been Republicans for a long time, a lot of the yeah. time. Who are some hashtag never Trumpers? Let's 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 talk about that before we go into what they were trying to do. I mean, you know, a lot of it is consultant class people and sort of D.C.-based Republicans. Bill Kristol is a good example of a never Trump Republican. You know, people actually formed groups to oppose Trump. A good example of that would be the Our Principles PAC. And, and their goal at that point was still to stop him electorally by running ads against him. And that's actually not a game that that a lot of these groups were necessarily that good at accomplishing because doing TV ads doesn't necessarily help with that. Right. So never Trump was supposed to be kind of a flag that Republicans could unite under. That would sort of like 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 one of the ideas, right, that that you could sort of park yourself in this never Trump and protect yourself from Trump as your nominee. Right. And and I think it, it goes back to you know, a sort of fundamental disagreement on what Trump means for the Republican Party and for the country. I mean, if you are one of the Republicans who views Trump's nomination as an absolute disaster for your party uh, that could have not only short-term, but also, you know, pretty serious long-term ramifications, it makes sense to be never Trump because to you, this is something bigger than this election. Right. If you are focused, I mean, you know, the RNC's job is to elect Republicans this year. 
So, you know, and if and if your focus is on this election and winning this election and you feel like the Republicans just need to win the White House this, this year, mm-hmm. then it's like, OK, you know, if that's your top priority, you're going to support Trump. And I think that most elected Republican officials are making this calculation based on their own particular political concerns. So I believe there really was an expectation that the party would remain extremely split all the way through the Trump ascension, all the way through the time that Trump was going to be the nominee. Instead, we see party leaders, top elected officials, even those who said really terrible things about Trump on the campaign trail. A lot of wealthy, a lot of the donors that Republicans rely on, not all, but a lot of their donors that people rely on. Groups like the big, strong conservative groups, they are all effectively on the Trump train. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that Trump has kind of won that battle. Yeah. So when we sat down to write this episode, we wanted to talk to Republicans who were running for office this cycle and were having to deal with the Trump thing and how they were dealing with the Trump thing. We, we wanted to simply ask people how it was to be a person running for office, not on the presidential ballot with Trump as their leader of the Republican Party. None of them would talk. We we talked, we asked maybe a half dozen people to come on and talk about that, and, and, and none of them would do it. So we found Doug High, who's one of the most connected people with the past few years of Republican politics. He was there at the RNC when the Tea Party took over. He's worked in Congress. He's worked in campaigns. Now he's a writer uh, and a pundit that talks about Republican politics. And he was one of the first people from inside the Republican system to say Donald Trump isn't a joke and I will never vote for Trump. You know, I look, I initially dismissed his campaign um, and I thought it was a clever line at the time to say that I took his campaign as seriously as I took his performance in WrestleMania, which is to say not seriously at all. <laughs> and that would have been back in, say, January, February, March. And then over time, I began to take him very seriously. What was your plan? I, I, I said we should take him seriously as a front runner and attack him with specifics. Um, because as we've seen in interview after interview, whether it's on tax reform or his taxes, he has no specifics on any answers. And he dances around things as masterfully as anybody has ever done. Right. The problem was it became a collective, I don't want to attack Trump, you attack Trump. Well, I'm not going to attack Trump. Why doesn't he attack Trump? Right. And... Either nobody attacked Trump or when they did, they used, I think of Rick Perry uh, most specifically, they got back into the name calling, Lindsey Graham too. Cancer on conservatism. Cancer on conservatism. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the things that um, Lindsey Graham said that I won't repeat even on a podcast played into the name calling back and forth that Trump really thrives on. Yeah. Yeah. So- what are you doing with yourself? Like, what are, what are what are you doing? What are you going to do in November? Do you have decided yet? I'm going to vote. I'm not going to vote for um, Donald Trump. I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, I'll write somebody in. Um, is that, you know, the strongest thing I can do? Maybe not. You know, I, but I also understand. So I'm very conflicted on a lot of this. I, I understand why Reince is doing what he's doing. He's doing his job and what he needs to do. His Reince is the current chair of the RNC. Right. His job is to support the Republican nominee. Uh, and we can talk about distancing yourself and whether or not that's going to ultimately be successful. We will. But, um, hint, it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, here's a question, because like, l- looking at this, 
there did seem to be that there was for a while a plan to have some kind of plan B for Republicans who were wary of Trump, right? There was a discussion of like, okay, well, you know, maybe you'll put a, you know, you put the hashtag never Trump on your campaign signs. Maybe you'll support a, a third party candidate backed mm-hmm. by conservatives. Were you surprised that none of those efforts solidified and now you're in a position now where it's basically Trump or nothing? Right. No, I'm not. Um, and I, I think part of the reason is this all happened too late. And there also was, let's dispel the notion that there was ever a never, never Trump movement. Okay. There wasn't. There was a series of disparate groups that had their own um, issues that they were um, going after Trump on. Um, they weren't really coordinating. There wasn't a movement. And so when you don't have one plan B, but maybe you have a series of small plan B, C, D, E on through the alphabet, it, it shouldn't be surprising that none of them are going to work. And also, you never had one person stand up and say, and I will do this. So if in Romney's speech, which I thought was a great speech, but maybe the wrong messenger. When, if, when he took on Trump. When he took on Trump mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City. Yep. If in that speech he had then said, and I will, and then whatever, then maybe something had happened. But no one was stepping up to do that. So where do you go? So now you're in a, so now the position is now because there is no plan B. People are sort of stuck figuring out how they're going to work around this system. And obviously, some Republicans have been very happy to have Trump as a, as a nominee. Some are very worried. I wanted to say, as a communications professional, if you can help me understand this thing that I'm hearing more and more, which is politicians mentioning supporting Trump versus endorsing Trump. And Senator McCain, we already know that you're yeah. supporting Trump, but are you endorsing Trump? I'm supporting the nominee of the party. Is there a difference between supporting and endorsing? I uh, am not clear. I'll have to get out a dictionary, but I'm telling you the answer, and that is that I am supporting your yeah. nominee. Is there a difference there between supporting and endorsing? There's a distinction. I don't know if there's a difference. Um, a lot of look, a lot of Republicans want to do the good, loyal thing for the party, and even if they don't like what the good, loyal thing for the party is, they want to do it. Saying the next step of, and I think Trump is great, and I can't wait to run with him is then a step too far for a lot of folks. I think in the voters' minds, there may not be a difference at all. And so John McCain's a perfect example. You know, McCain is being attacked in ads now because he said he'd support the nominee of the party. That is not a full-throated endorsement of Trump. That is about as milk toast um, as you can get, and yet he's still being attacked for it. Why um, are you still not going to be for him? Like, what what is it that about you that makes it that makes you a person that will never vote for him? Well. It kind of went back to something that really brought home the seriousness of what we deal with. And, and we, we've just seen this in the past week. We still don't know what happened with the Egypt air flight. Yet Donald Trump was out there immediately. Of course, this was terrorism. And I think most rational people probably thought the same thing. But when you're the front runner um, and the presumptive nominee of a party, Republican or Democrat, you shouldn't say things like that. That affects things. And we, we hear every, every once in a while, well, he's going to be presidential. Well, you don't be presidential. You are presidential. And and his reaction on this, you know, reinforces it for me. And so even when I from time to time see things that Trump does, that I think are politically smart or astute. He always reinforces the decision that I made. All right. Last question is um, these polls, because one of the beliefs I remember from the beginning of this process, when you were writing about it, other people were writing about it, was that it was going to be so clear that Trump was going to lose by so much that people would not fall in line behind him. And now we're seeing these early polls showing that maybe things are closer than people thought. Are those polls legit to you? Do you feel like we're seeing anything 
real about what's going on yeah, with Donald I, Trump. You know, can you look at a May poll and have that be predictive for what's going to happen in November? Of course not. You know, ask President Dukakis, ask President Kerry, ask President, you know, and you can go down the line. Um, I do think it's causing a lot of people to look and say, wait a second, maybe Trump really can do this. And I do think that he can do this. I think that path is very narrow. Uh, I think the electoral map is even more narrow. But I can see, given what we've seen over the past 12 months, how he can do it. Uh, one of the challenges that Republicans face is not just getting behind Trump, but then what? I kind of came to the conclusion, certainly after the shutdown, that what Republicans needed to have happen was mom and dad would have to have the argument in front of the kids. Hmm. And that was some variation of Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and whomever on one side versus Jeb or Marco or Boehner or whomever on the other side. Sort of your Tea Party versus establishment, for lack of a better, I mean, yes. Yeah. But at some point, mom and dad would have to have the argument in front of the kids. And what happened was the crazy uncle showed up at Thanksgiving and started a 17-person food fight, and everybody's got food all over them. And meanwhile, whatever happens, mom and dad still haven't resolved their differences. And you know, the Trump effect is real. The implications are real. But win or lose, Republicans still need to resolve some key differences, and we're nowhere near that point yet. Interesting. So what Trump means, while I would view it as overwhelmingly negative, I think a lot of it we still don't know. All right, Doug. Well, this is a uh, thank you so much for coming in. I think it's been a really fascinating conversation. And um, do you have any kind of uh, any parting advice for other Republicans like you who have to get through the next six months? Oh boy, um, that that's a very tough question. I mean, sit in the corner and have the shakes. <laughs> um, no, look, I, I think you know electorally, I think people need to do what what they feel is in their best interest politically, and I understand that. But at the same time, so many folks, I'm very heartened to see so many folks standing up and saying, I can't do this. And, you know, we so often look at politics as shirts versus skins. And essentially, that's what it boils down to 90% of the time. So to see people stand up and say that they're not going to just play shirts and skins to me um, is fantastic. I think it's a great thing for, for democracy, even as I'm very concerned about, you know, what the next few months and what the next few years hold. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, I, I wouldn't tell people, you know, to hang in there. I'd tell them to hang on uh, because it's going to be fast and furious and and it's going, this this election is going to have more twists and turns. We're not at the end of anything. We're really at the beginning. So entering the log flume era of Republican <laughs> politics. Uh, Doug the High, log cabin flume era. <laughs> that's yes. it. That's it. Uh, Doug High, uh, political extraordinaire, Republican expert. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, really been a great conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to. Some Republicans find themselves caught between both sides of their party on this question of whether or not to endorse Trump. An important thing to remember about how politics works in America is that while it's really polarized right now, it's not actually polarized everywhere. There are plenty of areas across the country where things are a little bit more fluid. The sort of idea that where you have some places that are really red, some places that are really blue, there really are places that are purple. And one of the purplest places is Illinois' 10th congressional district. This is a, sub this is a district that, that, that's basically in a suburb of Chicago. It's near Chicago, right? It's a district that has switched between the two parties. The guy who's in there now, who's a Republican congressman named Bob Dold, he actually lost 
in 2012. He won in 2010, lost to a Democrat in 2012, then won again in 2014, and is now in another tough, tough race in 2016. This is the kind of place where Trump's effects could really be felt the most. Because people who are in charge of making people win elections there, no matter what party they're in, rely on crossover voters. Rosie and I called somebody whose job it is to navigate that sort of complex water of politics and has done it very successfully for a long time. Her name is Ruth O'Connell. She's the Republican Party committeeman for Wheeling Township, which is in Dole's congressional district, that 10th district we talk about uh, out there in the Chicago suburbs. It's up to people like Ruth to register voters, get doors knocked, and do all of the groundwork that makes politics actually work. She's at the epicenter of figuring out how to make Trump a good thing while also trying to mitigate the ways that Trump could be a bad thing when it comes to trying to get people to vote Republican who may not always vote Republican. She's also a township trustee, which is an elected position. Basically, Ruth O'Connell is really invested in what's happening in Wheeling Township. We do run one of the the best townships uh, in the uh, state. We um, really service our seniors. We have 10 vans that take our our seniors around or disabled, uh, food pantry that services uh, our constituents. We have a dental clinic. There's a lot of good services that are coming out of the township. You seem so inspired by what government can do and what politics can do. Can you tell us a bit about what your role is in Republican politics? What do you actually do as a committeeman? Um, as a committeeman, we put an organization together to make sure that we get out the vote for the different candidates that are running in our township. This summer, we will be out in the precinct IDing our voters. So our precinct captains will be knocking on doors. Uh, we um, try and make sure that our candidate is at all the events and the parades that are in our township. This is really kind of how politics works, right? I mean, this is stuff like like jobs like yours. You have to have a ground um, game and uh, knocking on doors. That is a must if you want to win. What does it mean for you for the next activities you have to do, for the candidates you have to try to get elected, for the voters you have to contact to have Trump as your party's uh, nominee at the top of the ticket? Well, he, he certainly is going to drive out more voters. Well, I, I did want to ask you, uh, have you noticed any changes in Republican voter registration this year? There was a huge turnout in our primary, um, uh, very unusual in uh, a Republican primary. We normally uh, turn out about 12,000 voters. 20,000 uh, showed up to vote Republican. And, of course, we hadn't ID'd those, uh, those voters um, because they weren't on our radar. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, we're going into uncertain territory with Trump heading the ballot, particularly if there are a lot of crossover uh, voters that uh, will uh, be voting Republican at the top of the ticket. We just want to make sure they stay uh, with the rest of the ticket down to the bottom through the judges. What are your biggest fears about what Trump could do to that electorate that you're looking to get uh, in your area, that sort of bigger electorate that, that includes some independents and things like that? Well, you know, yeah, I, I think that you, you've got to be careful with the Hispanic vote. Um, I think he's in, insulted some of the veterans. What do you say to people when they're turned off to the Republican Party by Trump? How do you keep them in the fold for races like Dole's race down the ballot? 
Well, he's just, you know, one candidate on, on the ballot. And if they feel uncomfortable voting for Trump, you know, stay on the ballot and vote for all, you know, our state reps and our uh, senators that are running in the area and our judges. I mean, there are other good candidates um, that they can support. And you feel like it's easy for, it's, it's easy for you to say to them, you know, uh, you're a veteran. I know you don't like this, but the rest of our party doesn't sound like that. I mean, is that sort of the is that sort of the the line that you have to walk? Is just as, like to, to really just say like, look, we're not like that, or is it a he's not like that? I mean, you know what I mean. Like, what's the sort of how tied to Trump are you? I guess is the question. Um, in that way, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. I, I think it's one of the issues uh, that Trump is, has has to deal with. Um, but um, I don't think it's going to turn a lot of people away. I think he's got so many other um, good stands uh, on this, uh, what he stands for, that this will be one, you know, a possible minor, minor negative, uh, depending on um, if he can carry the veterans on the other issues. And I've got two veterans in my own home. Uh, are those your kids or your husband or both? Or? No, my husband, and I had one son that was in the National Guard. So it's a very, it's obviously a very important issue to you and a very important part of your day to day life. I imagine you, you sometimes have to hear, you know, over the breakfast table what people think about what Republicans are saying about veterans. I imagine. Yeah, they're very uh, uh, pro pro um, supporting of our veterans. We're going to have a big uh, Memorial Day parade here in Arlington Heights, so we'll be transporting some of our veterans on our own uh, van. All right, Rosie, I really enjoyed talking with Committeeman Ruth O'Connell. Same here. It was really interesting. A lot of people who are in the, the professional sort of political class in Washington, when they talk about the challenges of the Republican Party this year, they have to do a lot of couching it and sort of where they stand ideologically and where they want things to be. This is the person who just has to go out there and get right. votes voted. Right, right. I mean, for her, this is on a very pragmatic, practical level. It's like, well, got to get Republicans elected. And this is a part of the election that's going to have to happen. They're going to have to do that. But she also seemed to say, right, she doesn't know what's going to happen. Uncharted territory, she kept saying. Uncharted yeah. territory. All these like newly registered Republicans who have just registered to be Republican in order to vote for Trump. And what are those people going to do? I mean, I thought it was interesting when uh, she was saying that she's worried that those people are going to go to the voting booth, vote for Trump. Not vote for any of the Dem ballot candidates. I frankly had not really even thought much about that as a fear. Right, but like, that, I guess that's the thing. I mean, and you know, and obviously a big part of what she does is getting those judges and those local committeemen and what have you elected. But she was also not going to give Trump any quarter. Like she wasn't like, yeah, I'm over it with the veterans stuff. She's not over it with the veterans. No, stuff. she's not happy about that at all. And you know, like obviously uh, the DC political class who are basically having a, 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 a very long at this point conversation with themselves about Trump and what it means and what they're going to do and all this stuff, that is like a different universe than what Ruth O'Connell is up to, right? Yeah. And one thing that's interesting about it is that they depend on people like her. She and people like her are the people who keep the whole machine running, which makes it in a way even more interesting that... Uh, that she's not willing to forgive Trump. She's going to work to elect him. She's not going to forgive that guy. So here's what we have heard today. There really was an expectation at the start of the nomination process and the ascension of Trump all the way through even basically days before he clinched the nomination, maybe several days after he clinched the nomination, that the party would be so split that that would be what the defining 
message of 2016 was going to be, was this deep-seated split in the Republican Party. Then we've heard about what it's like to be somebody who was trying to keep that split alive and what it means for Republican politics today that it didn't really maintain itself because it didn't. And then we've heard about what it's like to run a swing district election with Trump as the top of the ticket and essentially with Trump as a person that is representing a large part of the Republican Party and part of your message no matter what you do. So... Rosie, it's important that we remember, I think, because it's so weird about how politics works, that things that happened two months ago are ancient history, like, immediately. But it really is worth remembering that people really thought that the party was going to be torn to pieces, that we were going to have significant swaths of the major party leadership and major conservative leadership just never getting on board with Trump. And and what we're seeing now is that everybody has gotten a lot of pe- most of the people who needed to get on board or who Trump needed to get on board, I mean, have gotten on board. But I will say that there is still a split in the party and it's over ideology and it's something that is not going to go away after November. The questions that Trump has raised about sort of what Republicans believe and what does it mean to be a Republican and what does it mean to be a conservative? I mean, that's that issue is not going to be settled. Anytime soon. So when it comes to Republicans uh, in the age of Trump, do we know anything? No. <laughs> Succinct. No, Succinct. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I literally get tickled every time I ask that. I don't know. It's like so do you cheesy. Ever, do you ever get somebody who says yes? No. Uh, most people <laughs> don't because these questions, because you don't understand, Rosie, these questions are so well crafted. Very well crafted. You're trapped. You got to say no. That's how the show keeps itself alive. That's the name of the show. No one knows anything. Well, Rosie, it was awesome to have you in the studio. I think that we've talked, we've learned a lot about Republicans right now. We've talked a lot about it, and I really had a good time. Thank you for coming in. We're going to have you back very soon, definitely around the time of the conventions, when we're all going to be in Cleveland figuring out what we know about anything there, the Republican conventions. Can't wait. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer. Editorial oversight from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan. Production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarahito. And our brand new, very exciting music was composed by DC's own Beauty Pill. You can always email us where no one knows anything at BuzzFeed.com. You can find us on Twitter. We're at BuzzFeedPaul. That's P-O-L, BuzzFeedPaul. And if you like the show... Subscribe on iTunes. I'm your host, Evan McMorris Santoro, and we'll be back next week with more things we don't know. <laughs>